Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Good morning, everybody. It is a joy to be with you, and I am thankful to God for this opportunity to be here. I do want to say how thankful I am to uh, Dr. Aiken and his staff for inviting me to come and for giving me uh, the topic to speak on today, a privileged topic to speak on the issue of being pro-life. And so what I would love to do is um, to begin by praying. Uh, I'm going to read the text and then I'll pray. Today will be in Micah chapter 6 verse 8. So if you've got a Bible phone, we encourage you to go there. Micah 6, 8, the title of today is Treasuring Christ in the Fight for Life. Treasuring Christ in the Fight for Life. I'm going to read Micah chapter 6, verse 8, and then I'll pray. (coughs) Excuse me. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness or mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Father, I genuinely ask in this moment that you would use this time to give us more of your Son. Would you glorify his name that as people see the beauty and sufficiency of Jesus, Father, you might be glorified in this room, in this city, and to the ends of the earth. Magnify the beauty of your Son. And by your Holy Spirit, Stir in us a love for him above every other love. And Father, I ask that that love for Christ would stir us to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. Father, please, motivate the unmotivated, convict the indifferent, broaden the horizon of the justice seeker, shape the conversation towards love, and bow our hearts to Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. In this moment, I enter with a sense of anticipation, but also with kind of a sense of trembling. Because, uniquely, this topic of pro-life, we live in a very divisive, not slow to listen, a quick to speak and a quick to anger climate. We're in a very political climate. It's a very polarized world, and sadly at times that can even enter the church. So when we speak about being pro-life, it gets you a political label and a category pretty quickly. But I'm asking the Lord to do something different today, to diffuse today of politics and to infuse today with a love for his Son. To fill today with a love for what he loves and a hatred for what he hates. I'm asking our great God to melt us into conformity to Jesus. 
because being pro-life, as it has been said by so many, it's being for life from the womb to the tomb. Being pro-life, according to Zechariah 7, tells us that it's about demonstrating justice, doing justice for the vulnerable. Who are the vulnerable? Listen to Zechariah chapter 7, verses 10 through 11. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress. And listen to these four categories. Some have called this the quadrant of the, ver- of the vulnerable. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the immigrant or sojourner, the poor. In this passage, we see this orphan, widow, sojourner, the poor, near to the heart of God, a command that we would be about doing justice to the vulnerable. But today, it should also rightly extend to other categories of vulnerability. Today, it should rightly extend to prisoners wrongly accused or with poor legal representation. Many single moms left alone with little support to raise their kids because of generations of broken families. Refugees torn from their countries due to war and famine and natural disasters. The persecuted Christians imprisoned or ripped away from family because of their faith. The migrant worker whose wage is unjust and treatment is inhumane. Those sold into sexual slavery because of lying traffickers and sick predators treating these women and children as property rather than people who should be free because they're made in the image of God. These are vulnerable, and it should be rightly extended to the unborn. Those who cannot even give voice to their peril, but they should be given rights as those who are made in the image of God because they are like the rest of humanity. Many of these unjust treatments uniquely targeting these women and children and black and brown individuals in our country, these are the injustices we face. Christians, we must stand up in this broken, hurting, sin-infested world. Today I'm going to hone in on one of these many issues in this battle for life, and it is what is traditionally called pro-life the issue of abortion. I'm going to hone in on it because I believe that honors why I was brought here and because it is so prominent in our culture. Lies are so egregious, and the ability of these little voiceless children unable to fight back. And so, as our country seeks to legalize and promote the killing of children, we must stand up against that. As Christians. So as we look today at Micah 6:8, we read in the scriptures a command given to the people of Israel. But it doesn't just apply to one situation in Israel's history, but it was a command given because it was tied so intimately to the character and nature of God. 
If you run all the way to the beginning of the Bible and all the way to the end of the Bible, it's almost like shoestrings running through the eyelets of shoes that as you pull on the strings of justice and mercy, all of a sudden you begin to see the Testaments come together in one unified message that for the glory of God, we must be about doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with him. This is not something that is simply relegated to one moment of history for the people of Israel, and Jesus makes it clear he makes it clear in Matthew 23:23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Jesus clearly giving a nod to our passage today. So with this verse binding upon us all as followers of Jesus, in this moment that we have, we read these words. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It has been made known to you. One is glory. Our God speaks. He's come. He made himself known. He loves us. But this has been made known to you. It's not hidden. It's not unclear. It's been made known to you. What is required? What he expects? It's to do justice, to do love-filled mercy, and to walk humbly with God. And so as we gaze into our text today, three things we will see. The pain, the privilege, and the priority. The pain of injustice, the privilege of obligation, and the priority of treasuring Christ. And so as we dive in today, let's look at the pain of injustice. The pain throughout the scriptures and especially in the Old Testament, the vulnerable are shown to repeatedly come up as those who are oppressed by the nations. But uniquely here in the book of Micah, the people of God, Israel, are complicit. And they're not just filled with cruel indifference, they are initiators of injustice. They're carrying it out. And God says, may it never be. You see earlier in the book of Micah, just a small little snapshot of how God might try to pejoratively describe their injustice and the pains associated with the injustice that they are doing. Here's what it says. Micah chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. And I said, hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You hate the good and love the evil. That's a description of injustice. You hate the good and you love the evil and listen to how it's described. You who tear the skin off of my people and their flesh from their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off of them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. These words 
used by God meant to describe in some metaphor and hyperbolic kind of exaggerated language, you are blind people of Israel to what your injustice is actually doing. And yet I only wish I was speaking in metaphor as we look at the cause of injustice for these unborn. I only wish bodies were not being ripped apart, and yet they are. Blown away by the recent testimony of Abby Johnson, whose movie, uh, whose story was laid through in the movie Unplanned, as she portrayed as she was a worker in Planned Parenthood, and she begins to speak about a room in the back called the POC room. POC stands for Products of Conception. But she said they would regularly joke that it stood for Parts of Children. And as they go back into this room, they have to come and they gather from the abortion all the dismembered parts of these children that have been curataged out or vacuumed out. And they do that so to make sure that they got all of the child out of the woman. I cannot imagine that job to be taking arms and legs and head and piecing back together a human life. How blind sin can make us to really look at that and say, this is really about reproductive rights. No thank you. It's injustice. It isn't metaphor. It's bloody. These are lives. Children destroyed. Head, hands, legs, toes, and yet painting to the outside world, it's just a clump of cells and telling women that it's best for them. Sadly, the abortion industry is not laying back. There is an aggression to their schemes and RU486, this abortion pill, this two-pill system, or this two-system process, take a pill, go home, 24 to 48 hours later, take another pill. In order to abort your child, what it does is you take the first pill and it removes the embryo from the uterine wall so that that embryo would die. And the second pill pushes the baby out. Over 95% effective. A doctor in Illinois said that Planned Parenthood describes that all you will need is a hot shower and a heating pad and maybe some ibuprofen that should do the trick. But as this doctor explains, bleeding can last on average nine to 16 days. For this woman, one in every 12 women experience bleeding more than 30 days, and one in every 100 women require hospitalization. Other side effects from this abortion pill include abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, fever, and headaches. And sadly, it has been known to cause maternal deaths due to infection and undiagnosed ectopic pregnancies. It is found in a recent article, fourfold higher risk for complications and problems for these women in the future. 
one woman who was actually thankful she had an abortion said this, I just didn't expect the grief. It overwhelmed me. It's still fairly new to me. But every woman that I spoke to, regardless of the situation, spoke of the grief. This doctor goes on to say, keep in mind the abortion pill is a medical abortion performed during the first trimester up to the 10th week. At this point, an unborn child's heart is already beating. His or her brain and organs are growing. Fingers, toes, all 10 represented. The abortion pill not only wreaks havoc on a woman's body, but it destroys a human life. This is the pain of injustice. Women going through inexplicable grief, difficulty for their lives in many ways, but a human life is being killed. Here are some statistics. 2017, 862,000 abortions took place in this country. In 2018, the State Center for Health Statistics said that North Carolina, 27,581 abortions took place. That's 76 babies killed a day in our state. 45% of all abortions in North Carolina are African-American, only underscoring the fact that injustice is targeting underserved and many times minority communities. And in the triangle, among the four abortion clinics, 9,677 children were aborted in 2018. But I need to be clear. The pain of injustice is not only for the mom and the baby and the family, for the dad possibly if he's involved, but injustice distorts the glory of God. It paints to the world a God who would be indifferent to such injustice. It doesn't highlight his beauty and creativity and creation of life. It doesn't honor his directives. The pain of injustice distorts the glory of God communicated to the world. So my prayer, any of you in this room who have been under-motivated or indifferent, that you would see the pain of injustice and the Lord might stir your heart to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God. And that leads us to the second, the privilege of obligation. Not only is there the pain of injustice, but the privilege of obligation. And it's in the text that we read, has it not been made known to you what the Lord requires? He has told you, O oh people, what is good. That means what is best for human flourishing and bringing people to God. He's told you what the Lord requires, and he says this. Two verb groups and then nouns to follow. The two verb groupings are to do and to walk humbly. So the command following those is to do and to walk humbly. To do what is the command? 
It is to do mishpat, justice, and to do kesed, mercy. Kesed is accompanied by another noun. So there's three nouns. Follow me. Justice, love, and mercy. Love is not a verb there. It's a noun. Justice, love, mercy. This command binding upon us all, the command is that we do something. We do something that is brought together in this one bucket called just mercy, merciful justice. You might think they're two different things, but they're describing one thing to do. Tim Keller in his book, Generous Justice, puts it this way. Justice puts the emphasis on the action while mercy puts it on the attitude or motive behind the action. Justice is what you do. You do what is right. This mercy, this loving, love-filled mercy is how you do that justice, how you do what is right. They are inextricably connected. Acts of justice cannot and should not be absent of love-filled mercy, and love-filled mercy cannot be absent of what is right and just. So he goes on to say, Tim Keller in his book, Generous Justice, says, to do justice in its basic form means to treat people equitably And he goes on to say, it's to give people their rights, giving people what they are due, whether punishment or protection and care. Now, as you think about abortion, our role is not punishment. Our role is not to punish the abortionists. Punishment sits in the hands of the right authorities, whether it be government or God. God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Do not return evil for evil. However, doing justice in this scenario is to live rightly for the protection and care of the vulnerable. To live rightly, justly for the protection and care of the vulnerable. And this is a privileged obligation. I choose those words specifically. Obligation means it's not a choice. And yet that command, that not a choice, it's a privilege. It's a joy. Because God is inviting us into an opportunity to live our lives in such a way that we get to reflect his beauty, his glory, his majesty, his rightness, and his mercy to a lost and dying world. We've got to know what it looks like to do love-filled mercy justly or to do Justice in a love-filled, merciful way. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to you, to me, to join these individuals in some of their greatest moments of crisis. These dear women, sometimes never told about this being a child, never being shown their baby on an ultrasound screen from a loving nurse. In their greatest moments of crisis, in their deepest despair, in highest moments of anxiety, we get to step in and to be advocates. 
just to name a few options on what it would look like to take a step towards this as we walk out those doors, we can volunteer. We can volunteer to work in one of the many wonderful organizations represented in this community, in our city. You can volunteer to counsel. You can see how your skills, tech, legal, counseling, or simply your availability can serve the agencies working on the front lines of this in our community. You can pray. One of the greatest privileges I have in being able to serve on Gateway's board, Gateway Women's Care, is when I get these emails that say, an abortion-determined woman is coming today, please pray. And I can't tell you how my heart rejoices when I get a follow-up email that says, they have chosen life. And there's hope in these women's hearts. And especially when some of them have been told about Jesus and their hearts have toppled and surrendered to Christ. Statistics show, Abby Johnson shares this in her testimony, that when she served at Planned Parenthood, there were 75% no-show ratings when people would just simply stand outside of Planned Parenthood and pray. Women would not show up for their abortion appointment just because people were outside praying. These ministries need your financial support. I've been in your shoes. I know student equals poor. I get it. But don't miss the opportunity to give a widow's might. It's about your heart. We can dream together on what it looks like to do justice for the unborn. But let's be clear, God is not just saying do, but it's how you do what you do. And as I was just reading, there's tons of texts. Hosea 11, Genesis 40, Exodus 15, 13, Exodus 34, 6. God fleshes out the meaning of these two words, love and mercy. And in summary, it would be a God-like because it reflects his character. God describes himself as one of steadfast love. It's God-like, enduring, forgiving, rescuing love. That's how we do justice. God is laying out a blueprint for what it looks like to walk humbly with God. That is, that we would do justice in a loved, drenched, merciful way. I have four children. Age 17, getting ready to turn 18, graduate from high school, all the way down to my little eight-year-old. Naming children is a, is a hard thing sometimes as you go to do that, but I remember as we were adopting our third, um, first two biological, we adopted our third from uh, Ethiopia, and as we were seeking to do that, I remember we were driving through the car and we were reading Pilgrim's Progress, and we ran across that the daughter's name in the book was Mercy. And as we heard that, I remember being in that car and it was like, boom, we're gonna call her Mercy. Well, then we decided to dive into the adoption world again and we adopted our fourth child and it's like, well, what's Mercy without justice? So we called him Justice. And so what's really interesting though is unlike, you know, 
if my name is called Sean or, you know, Elijah is called, that's one thing. But when, you, when you're instructing your children and their names are mercy and justice, sometimes it just hits you funny. And so, you know, there are times when my son, Justice, he, he's picking on his sister or he's disobeying. And I'm just like, that's like the opposite of your name. It's like, why are we here? And then there are other times that my sweet girl Mercy struggles with irritability towards justice and struggles to forgive justice. And it's just like, that's the opposite of, of mercy. Like, how are we here? It's, uh, it's funny sometimes. My little boy, sometimes he sees that my daughter Mercy has done wrong. We all do wrong. Their parents do wrong. Amen. We need Jesus, all of us. And so sometimes he's actually right about her doing wrong. Like, Mommy, Daddy, she did this, and she did it. But he sometimes doesn't tell the whole story, right? Sometimes he sees it a little wrong. Sometimes he actually sees it right. But what you see is a delight in him that she's going to get in trouble. And what reminds me is that you can't have justice without mercy. And you should not have mercy without justice. The ugliness of injustice is not meant to be matched with the ugliness of self-righteousness or the vitriol of slander or the self-satisfying anger. It's meant to be matched by a broken heart, a sacrificial, right action-filled kindness all towards the aim of human flourishing, not the delight that you're right, but the delight that our God is a great God of justice and mercy. And so, where do we get the fuel for this? If I remember anything about being a student, Thursday, chapel, I'm tired. Where do you get the fuel? The fuel to love those that you're close to, roommates, family, kids. Do your studies. Love your church well. You might feel like, this is just really, he's like, thanks a lot, Sean. All you're doing is just that adding one more thing on my shoulders. Things to do. Well, the good news is you don't have to do it all in one day. Okay, take heart. It's a life characterized by. But where do we get the fuel? And this is why I end with the priority. We've heard about the pain. We've heard about the privilege. We must hear about the priority, the priority of treasuring Christ. The verse goes on to say, you have, it's been made known to you what is good, what's good for you, what's good for human flourishing, what's good to make much of the glory of God. You know what's required of you. That's to do love-filled mercy justly, to do justice in a love-soaked, merciful way. But the apex of the verse is so that you might walk humbly with God. 
literally to be humble in walking with God. John Calvin in his commentary says this, no doubt is the name of God, the name of God is more excellent than anything in the whole world. So the worship of him is to be regarded as of more importance than all the duties by which we prove our love towards men. What's the summary of that if you got lost in the quote? Don't love the cause more than Christ. The cause of the unborn is not our greatest goal. Christ is. And you know when your cause has slowly leaked and Jesus has kind of diffused out, your heart's begun to prize the action over the Savior when your heart isn't broken. When you are more aware of your good deeds than Christ's good mercy towards you when you rarely miss your advocacy, but you regularly miss your times of intimacy with Jesus. And when prayer is not your primary weapon, you know that the cause has become too important. If I leave you with anything today, my primary aim is to press us all towards the priority of being with and sitting before and listening to and depending upon and treasuring Jesus Christ above every other treasure. Jesus says it this way in John 15, verses 4 to 5. Abide in me. And I abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you, what? Abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's an image of a fruit tree that's been broken. The limb has been broken because maybe an animal has run by and knocked it down or there's been some storm and the branch has been broken. This next set of pictures shows you a branch that is broken from its root. At least I think we have those. There they are. A branch on the left that has been severed, but the one on the right has been carefully bound back to its source of life. Dear friends, in the cause of just-filled mercy, you better believe as you step towards advancing light in the midst of darkness, you will face opposition, criticism, setbacks, 
team or relational struggles, personal pain, personal weakness, and it will feel like a breaking. And I can promise you, I can promise you, the only way, the only possible way you will have the ability to be gentle or to be bold the only way you will have the possibility to act in love, the only way you will know what to say, the only way you will have the courage to choose life, the only way you will have unction to pray and the sacrifice to volunteer and the love to advocate, the only way you will keep going and not give up is to abide in the vine. It's to sit with Jesus. And as you sit with him, there is a reattaching of your heart to what he prizes. There's a realigning of your priorities to what he holds precious. There's a declaration to your own heart that you are not sufficient for these things. Only Christ, only Christ, only Christ is sufficient. And if as Peter Cesaro says in his book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, if we go at warp speed, our soul will be warped. Unless we are doing justice and loving mercy out of abiding in Christ. Oh, how I pray that God in this moment would stir us to such excitement and affection for Jesus that we would see him as sweeter than any cause and greater than any relationship. I felt so helpless as I was writing these things. And in some ways it's beautiful. I cannot make your heart treasure Jesus. But I know that sitting with him will. I know that his word will feed your soul. And so in this moment, my push for all of us in this cause and fight for the unborn, but in this fight to walk in faith, that we would be characterized as people of prayer. That we would be the people of God admitting what is true, that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. God must fight for us. He equips our heart for justice, our hands for service, our knees to bow down in prayer. The image is not pray more than your neighbor. The image is know your neediness and join the invitation to sit in the love of God for you. We will never know, I believe this with all my heart, this side of heaven, how many lives were saved, how many babies are breathing, how many generations are spreading, how many souls are professing faith in Jesus, how many now in this world are being changed because we have been praying. And our greatest need is that we would pray, God, change us. God, change us. So, dear friends, I leave you with this. The only way we do justice is to remember that in Jesus, justice was not done to us but for us. The cross 
The cross is our only hope. We deserved to be punished to a sinner's hell. Our punishment is his just displeasure for our selfish, unjust behavior. And yet, in God's amazing love-filled mercy, his mercy, he placed all of that judgment upon his son who stood in our place even though he had done no wrong. Dear friends, I can say that I am not forsaken because our God was just on Calvary. And I can stand righteous only because by faith I'm in the righteousness of another. We are his and we are loved because we believe in his son, the son sent from the father. I invite any of you who don't know Christ to bow your heart to believe you are insufficient to take away your sin. Let the power of the gospel change you in this moment. Justice has been served, and mercy is yours if you call out to Christ for forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus. Dear friends, it's not optional, but it's a privilege. May we do love-filled mercy, and may Christ be our aim as we walk humbly with him. Let's pray. Father, I love you, and I thank you. I thank you that you're worthy. You're worthy of our pursuit. You satisfy the desire of every living thing, and you aren't stingy, you're generous. Your word says that you open your hand. You're near to those who call upon you, who call upon you in truth. Father, please, so much hurting fills this room. So much struggle fills this room, and I ask that there would be this confidence that wells up in the heart today that you are a near Savior. You're near to the brokenhearted. And like a good shepherd, you will lead us beside still waters, and you will restore our weary souls. Please, O oh God, draw us to sit and abide with you as our greatest aim. We pray this in Christ's glorious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.